Hello, and welcome to the podcast M&A Stories, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I'm Robert Heaton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Toby Tester. In these podcasts, Toby and I share our experiences on various projects that we've both been involved in over the course of our careers, talking about things that have gone well, things that didn't go too well, and things that just completely failed. The purpose of this is that we're hoping that our listeners will learn some valuable lessons from those experiences and that those lessons can be taken forward into your M&A projects. We hope you enjoy listening. So let's get this podcast underway. Hey, Robert. Hi, how are you going? I am good, thanks, Toby. Despite being locked down, we're good here in Melbourne. You are indeed locked down, aren't you? I think it oh. is. Uh, I think they call it stage four. Yeah, I mean, basically, right now, we are not allowed outside of a five kilometer radius of where we live. So, everything you need to do in terms of shopping is within that five kilometer radius. Only essential stores are open, like supermarkets, pharmacies, and fuel stations. Cafes and restaurants can do contactless takeaway. And we've got a curfew at 8 o'clock at night oh, until man. 5 o'clock in the morning. Okay. You are not allowed out. And well, all I can say is, look, it's you've got to be tough. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people yep. accept the fact that, you know, we can't let this get out of control. But relatively speaking, here in New South Wales, I think about 18 cases or so. But yep. needless to say, it can easily get out of hand. So it's good to see that, that in Victoria they're clamping down hard. Yeah, and it's the only way to do it, and it, it's like that for the next six weeks. But uh, well, there you go, it is what it is, and it's for the safety of everybody concerned. So It is, and it's appropriate too. Yeah. So anyway, look, Robert, last week we, we were talking about sales, the sales part of the and particularly the, the integration of sales and the sales yeah. um, function. And that was really interesting because I think you went into a certain amount of detail about things you do and you don't do based upon your considerable experience um, in the sales function, uh, particularly with regards to M&A. And I thought, let's talk more about it and let's use this time again to talk about sales and, and to continue on that and perhaps sort of like onto the sales culture as well. And so I think you've got a story to tell here and I think it's a good one that I think sort of really builds on from last week. So once you open up and, and sort of like tell us the story that gives an extra dimension to the sales challenges in M&A. Yeah, no, delighted to. And, and this one particularly concerns uh, a well-known food and beverage uh, company. A very well-known uh, one. They, they were nicely nestled into their place in the global market space. <laughs> I don't know who you could be talking about. <laughs> now, in this particular case, this acquisition that they'd made was a, a range of new products that they would add to their existing uh, range of brands. Hmm. Uh, it also took them into a new industry segment that they hadn't uh, had much success in before. Right. Uh, and, and it sort of picks up on the inside-out conversation we had the other week. Yep. At, at the beginning, this acquisition was really well managed. Hmm. The, the vision and the expected value creation that was going to come out of this was well-crafted. And it didn't matter who you spoke to, they could articulate why this acquisition had 
taken place. They'd done some serious planning and product realignment, even pre-deal. Right. And the communication strategy was best practice. It really was good. So it's going to big tick all round then, it sounds like. Yeah, you could you could say it's definitely got a big tick all round. And for anybody that was engaged in the acquisition, and I was part mm. of that team, as well as anybody from the outside looking in, right, it had all the hallmarks of best practice everywhere you looked. And it got a very positive response also from customers and from the markets that they served. So you were almost lulled into a false sense of security because everything just kicked off so nicely. Everybody seemed to know exactly what they were supposed to do. And it was sailing smoothly. Fabulous, Robert. Now, you're going to start throwing in a complication here, aren't you? So Because it all sounds too good, plain sailing, everything going well, but well, there are problems. Yeah, and, and, as, and as I'm sure you know, Toby, you almost get a sixth sense that when you're working on a project and everything's going too well, you, you're automatically just glancing around looking for a big fan and a whole pile of smelly stuff because you know they're going to Something's going to hit. <laughs> now, the, what kicked this off was that the, the new products that they acquired – they were actually going to take dominance in certain customer segments. It was actually a, a line of craft beers. Okay. And, and it was seen internally as the new sexy. Right. right. So if you were aligned to that product, you got theory dust on you. What didn't help, of course, was that the expertise in marketing and selling these new products was vested in the acquired company. Mm-hmm. So it started to create a set of people challenges and particularly the brand managers. Mm. They started to feel threatened right? because right. they, they'd enjoyed a certain um, movie star status in the business up to that mm. point. But all of a sudden, this new acquired company, which was significantly smaller than them, yeah. is suddenly grabbing the limelight. So, so like a bit of a battle of the brand managers here. It was definitely a battle of brand managers. Right. And they started to behave in what I would call a covert manner. So there were some major product launches that were scheduled hmm. and bookings had to be made for uh, TV coverage and a whole pile of things, right? And, and all of a sudden, just purely by mistake, somebody had forgotten to book a whole load of coverage. Right. Everybody turned up to do this launch. Of course, half the services that they needed to do it were, just weren't there. <laughs> Everything started to slow down. You know, you, you tried to get something done, and all of a sudden there was difficulties in the way, and it was just taking a bit longer right. than you'd expect. And, and then finance, there was some collusion with finance because finance mysteriously locked up all the budgets. Right. You know, things were being booked, but the, the venues weren't being paid. Mm. Um, so it sounds all very odd, to be honest, Robert. Very odd well, indeed. And, and the thing was, it, it started to show itself as not just one-off occurrences that were caused mm. by, you know, settling the new processes down. This was starting to be a bit of a pattern. Yep. Right? Now, the, the, the VP of marketing was aware of it 
he rightfully wanted to protect his people. And his argument to the leadership team at the time was that that they should just let him try and deal with it internally. And he gave assurances that, that it would settle down. Um, and it clearly didn't. <clears throat> that, that covert behaviour continued. And what they didn't recognise, that the CEO wasn't going to tolerate that. And they didn't see his willingness to revisit all of the plans that had been put in place so far. They they thought their position was nice and secure. Right. You know, everything had been agreed. You would almost argue that some of this behaviour was because they'd been given assurances about their futures and et cetera. Mm. Um, they felt, they felt uh, invincible. Mm. Who knows, right? Mm. But what I do know is that the, the CEO gave the vice president of marketing about a week, and then that was it, right? And three long-serving brand managers were removed in literally three days. Wow. Okay, that's pretty. Um, that's pretty cutthroat. The, the, and I've got to say, it was the CEO. I, I actually got a lot of time for this guy. He was he was tough when he needed to be. Right. He was fair with people, right? And and he expected people to perform well. Mm. And and in this case, he called the leadership team together. They'd already put a pile of planning into realigning brands and realigning responsibilities and all of that, mm-hmm. even pre-deal, right? Mm-hmm. But he was quite prepared to go back and revisit that. Right. And they did. Mm-hmm. I, I was part of that conversation. I was invited into the inner circle that was discussing that. Right. right? So that was on a Wednesday afternoon. And by Thursday morning, decisions had been made. And by Friday afternoon three senior brand managers in the business had gone. Right, right. Now, you've heard me talk, Toby, before about when you've made a decision to act, act swiftly, but act fairly. Indeed. This was actually a good demonstration of it because the CEO made it clear he wasn't going to tolerate that sort of behaviour, messing up the acquisition. It's because almost like sabotage. It was. Well, he, that's exactly what he called it. He okay. said it sabotage, right? Nice. And so we acted swiftly on those three brand managers. Right. But I will say he also acted fairly. Yep. And in recognition that they were long-serving with the business, he made sure that their severance package was going to give them enough runway to be able to save face like new employment somewhere else. Yeah, but he but he also made it clear that they weren't invincible. Mm-hmm. They couldn't just assume that because they'd been there a long time, they couldn't be moved. And so that was it. It, it reinforced the, the CEO's image. It also was one of those situations where it sent a very clear message internally because even though the communication was carefully structured around it, mm-hmm. the reality was everybody knew what had happened. Right. So it, it stamped any of that behaviour out. Yeah, no, very important to have that sort of very clear message, you know, that people are not to mess around, you know, especially when you've got clear plans of action when you're bringing in a new organisation, a new business in, that you can't have people messing about. So you've got to stick to the plan, yeah. uh, work towards the business outcomes, and you don't tolerate behaviours that will um, potentially sabotage what you do. 
Yeah. Now, interestingly, mm. a similar sort of culture war mm. was was playing out in marketing. I felt sorry for the vice president of marketing because he got misbehaving brand managers on one side and he got marketing right. playing up on the other. Right. Uh, now, again, a lot of pre-planning, pre-deal, uh, they put a lot of thought into the restructure of marketing because clearly it's an important area when mm. you're uh, launching products, it, it, food and beverage industry, mm. right? And what happened here was that the two marketing departments had actually come together and shown a willingness to work together really well, mm. right? And again, we sort of it it looked almost too easy to be true. What started to happen was as that marketing department started to produce future campaigns and marketing programs, I, I don't know if you'll agree with this, Toby, but marketing mm. people are creative types. Mm. They're more artistic in their style and persona. Oh, um, indeed, indeed, indeed. And <clears throat> we started to see some clashes of design, if you like, or style. Mm between the two marketing departments. In fact, the sales VP caused a laugh at one of the leadership meetings because he said that the, the new marketing team was as difficult as trying to get Picasso and Monet to collaborate on a painting. <laughs> <laughs> but the, thing, the good thing about this, what the, the challenges that were, were, were being faced were, were not covert disruption as per the previous story. Mm. It, it was about personalities and artistic recognition. And they were banging up against each other because mm. they're different schools of thought. Right? And again, it was starting to sort of rattle the edges a bit. Mm. Right? Things weren't just settling down as smoothly as we'd hoped. And we didn't really get a good, strong outcome. So the CEO, again, was the arbiter of change. Right. He recognized there was two styles. And he, he said that as a business moving forward, they had to be open to new ideas and fresh innovation. Uh, so he announced an internal competition. Wow. Okay. Right. Uh, between the two core brands, yeah. each was going to get the opportunity to present a campaign to leadership. And mm. the winners, he announced, would have a whole day off-site celebration at a, a venue of their choice. Uh, and he actually went as far as saying anywhere in Europe. So if the, you know, if mm. they wanted to go to Paris for a day, that was quite all right. He was right. prepared to to fund that, right? Right. And, and this sudden surge of creativity started, and the two teams came together and they produced some stunning campaigns to the leadership team. They're right. absolutely brilliant, right? And of course, what none of them realized at the time was that the CEO always intended for there to be two winners. Yeah. Right? What, what he showed was that a little competition internally is healthy and it brings out the best of people. But he also showed that just sticking to the old ways, whilst that was still valid for certain parts of the business, the new ways of looking at things were, were, were also perfectly okay. Right, and, and he actually said, as part of his speech when he was announcing these awards, that as far as he was concerned, it was perfectly okay for Picasso and Monet to share the same studio. 
And, and if you go forward six months from there, yep. you know, that creativity that had been unleashed mm. and allowed to flourish so that nobody was saying your style's better than your style, they were mm. both allowed to flourish. Mm. It had achieved an impressive 18% market share for those new products against very fierce competition. That, right. that was that was a whopping 8% market share higher than anyone had even imagined. That's it. That's impressive. And the great thing about that, I mean, the, those results were being discussed at the next board meeting. Hmm. And, and everybody was absolutely amazed at how quickly the company had managed to grab that market share and perform so well. Hmm. And, and this competition was being talked about. Right. And with a wry smile, the, the CEO said that it had cost him 2,000 euros. But that unleashed creativity mm. um, had delivered an unexpected $4.3 million onto that quarter's results alone. <laughs> very good indeed, very good. Well, you know, that's a, that's a very good example, I think, of M&A leadership, particularly when it comes to uh, sales, marketing and brand and the value that that leadership can bring. You know, yeah. to have uh, such uh, an amazing return. Now, I'm interested in all this, sort of, Robert, because obviously with all of this, it's an incredible story in food and beverage. What, what would you say are the sort of the key lessons that we take away from this? I think the first one straight away, strong leadership really counts when you're dealing with acquisition. Well, I often think that leadership, you know, M&A always begins and ends in leadership. And if you have a failed M&A merger acquisition, it's always a failed leadership. The one thing that shone out in this particular example was that Mm. in the first occasion, he saw a problem, he acted quickly, he dealt with it with immediate surgery and fixed Mm. it, right? Mm. But he got enough experience and insight to know that the second problem in Mm. marketing wasn't the same. It wasn't a, a, a disruptive issue. It was simply creativity that needed to be let loose. Right. And and that, so you could be a, a CEO that tries to tackle both scenarios with the same tool. And that mm. would have been disastrous. So strength of leadership is is absolutely number one. Number two, if you've got an acquisition that involves new products, some realignment of product lines is necessary. Mm. And you should be building a framework for that during pre-deal stages. Right. And okay. you should look to finalize that in the first 100 days. Right. Okay. Right. Good one. Good one. It's, it's got to be critical to your to the value creation in the business. Right. Third one, technical aspect of aligning products and markets is technical exercise. And with the right knowledge, it's easy. But aligning people, skills, and cultures to that is far more challenging, and it should not be overlooked. Right. Okay. Uh, look out for them. Deal with them appropriately. Tackle negative cultural and behavioral issues quickly, but recognize that some of these cultural issues that arise can be turned to your advantage, and that 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 basically sums it up. And and finally, I would say, going back to the start of this, never tolerate covert behavior designed to cause damage to the business. Indeed, indeed. Find it, recognize it, and stamp on it. Yep.
That's yep. exactly Avoid exactly. sabotage. Yes, you've got to watch out for those behaviours and, and step on them immediately. Absolutely no tolerance whatsoever. Another great story on sales, an extra dimension, of course, because we're talking about brand and marketing as well. Really important areas when it comes to you know, acquiring and integrating a business. So look, thanks very much again. Both Robert and I will be back again next week for another story in the whole M&A War Stories podcast series. So thank you very much. And it's bye from me. Thank you.